The Retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. We've got uh, what is likely the final show in a series where we've been talking about uh, changes to retirement planning evolved from the Secure 2.0 Act, or I guess Secure Act 2.0. Um, I've had a few email uh, submissions that have been related to what we've been talking about the past few EDU shows as uh, we've been sharing with you the the wonderful information that comes in from the Ed Slot training program that Jim uh, attends on a regular basis. So, that's the main source for a lot of this information that comes in, and they're you know dedicated to understanding all these things and then passing it on to advisors such as ourselves, and then we are sharing it with you, uh, hoping, hoping that it helps you understand your own retirement situation a little bit better. So uh, I'll bring Jim in. He's got, uh, I think, a couple people reached out to him with some suggestions on what we might want to address before we wrap up our, our Secure 2.0 uh, series here, um, and uh, he had a couple of a couple other things that kind of were left hanging from last time, anyway. So, uh, Jim, if you uh, are ready to go, just unmute yourself, and we'll we'll venture off into the podcast of the week. Podcast of the week, the EDU show of the week. No, yeah, this is EDU, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yep. I, got, I got confused there for a minute, <laughs> but um, I do want to caution folks and Chris. We have a, a deadline. Chris has to leave in a certain amount of time. He'll tell me when to shut up. Uh, it is possible if, if Chris goes on his tangents, we have to extend this one more show. I can't say for certain. I'm going to try to get everything in on this show. But I also, all jokes aside, want to make sure Chris and I really kind of explain the nuances of some of these rules. The, the headlines, Chris, get far more attention than the actual depth. It's kind of like when you read a, a headline, but you don't read the whole article. Yeah. And sometimes you have to get to the seventh or eighth paragraph of an article to get to the nitty gritty. And so many people just kind of scam, skim, skim a headline and read the first paragraph and think, okay, I know that, let's move on. So on some of these, we might kind of 
go a little deep. So no promise we're going to wrap up today, but I'm going to make every effort to try. Okay, so with that, we'll probably forego any of our banter and uh, stuff like that so we can kind of dive in and, and uh, please the people who say we banter too much. So see, see folks, sometimes uh, I can keep Chris on track and keep him from going off and, and bantering and, and, and get things done. All righty. So last week, we left off with um, we were doing some of the exceptions to the 10% penalty, new exemptions. And I think we left off at the age 51 for um, public sector employees. So we'll skip that one. You guys can uh, go back and listen to last week's podcast if you didn't hear it. Let's pick up again with new exceptions to the 10% penalty. One thing I found interesting, and I see on the horizon, Chris, a EDU, probably two EDU shows, once all of these new Secure Act 2 exemptions are fully in place, and many of them don't take place until the end of next year, but once all of them are in place, take a gander on how many exemptions to the 10% early withdrawal penalty there will be. You want me to guess? Yes. Boy, I don't know. It seems like a big expansion. Ten? Is that your... That's my guess. What, what was that show? Is that your final that offer? Your final answer? Final answer. Is that your final answer? Do you want a lifeline? Do you want to reach out, perhaps, to your partner and ask him? <laughs> you mean the person asking me the question? <laughs> that seems a little odd. <laughs> I don't think that was a feature of the show back in the day. <laughs> Maybe that's a hint that perhaps 10 is it's, not right. It's not correct. I, is I, that I your final I haven't answer. counted them. I've you know heard about most of them, I think, but I haven't really sat down and counted them. And it's, I definitely, it's expanded from the four or so that we had before. Well, there so. were more than four before. There will be 20, exempt, 20 exemptions to the 10% early withdrawal penalty. Actually, my notes I hand wrote, over 20. So I don't know if that's going to be 21 or more. I'm going to have to go back and count. Well, we Over had before, 20. we had, you know. There was a lot before uh, between IRAs and plans. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Oh, but I was thinking just IRAs alone. No, so. no, IRAs okay. and plans. Okay. So why don't you briefly explain, though, to listeners? This could apply to new listeners. What do we mean by an exemption to the 10% early withdrawal penalty? We're just assuming mm-hmm. our listeners know what the hell it is we're talking about. What are we talking about? So when these retirement plans, IRAs and, and employer-sponsored plans like 401ks were put into place, they wanted to really encourage people to use them for their intended purpose, which was for retirement. So they had some to, to receive the tax benefits uh, of those accounts or plans you had to follow certain rules. And one of those, there, there is a built-in 10% penalty for most plans. There are a couple of exceptions, but for most plans that are of the retirement style, um, a 10% penalty if you were to distribute money before the age of 59 and a half. They decided that 59 and a half, that's where people would start to kind of normally be considering retiring. So if if you're taking money out after that point, you're doing what they wanted you to do, use these accounts to amass wealth for retirement. Prior to that, 
They didn't want to make it so you absolutely couldn't access the money. But if you did prior to 59 and a half, you would pay a 10% penalty above and beyond any other natural taxes that might be owed because of the distribution. So it's not a, an either or thing. There's obviously always um, some, uh, well, not there's obviously tax considerations for these accounts. There's not always income tax owed because if you had a Roth, for instance, there's no income tax uh, on those uh, uh, necessarily. So uh, the 10% penalty is an extra kind of slap on the hand, if you will, for accessing the money sooner than you would typically access it for retirement. Exactly. So we'll do shows in the future, probably after 2024, when all 20 plus are in effect and go through them again. One thing Ed pointed out, one thing I realized as we were reviewing all this, and I realized this even before Secure Act added many, many more exemptions. They're making it too easy to get money out of retirement accounts before retirement. On the one hand, Secure Act 2 was a reflection of Congress's concern that people are not saving enough for retirement. And they started enacting a lot of different ways to get people to save. But on the other hand, they made it easier and easier to get money out for non-retirement reasons. It's kind of a north-south, east-west, yin-yang type thing here. They're trying to achieve one thing while at the same time trying to do something else. It's almost the equivalent of when Michael Kitsis once pointed out to me, Uh, not just to me personally, but at a uh, seminar I was at, talking about income annuities. He said people who buy single premium immediate annuities, which he acknowledged were few and far between, uh, and we talk about that all the time on the podcast uh, for a variety of reasons that he shared, which I won't get into. But he said what confuses him are people who buy a lifetime income stream because they are concerned with living a long time and having to manage money, and they want to make sure that no matter what happens, they can get income. That's why you buy them. Turn around and put on them a rider that says, if I die before getting all my money back, make sure my beneficiaries get the difference. He pointed out, you can do that. It's called a return of premium or, or it goes by different names. I don't mm-hmm. want to get too deep into that. But he pointed out that reduces the amount of money you get. So what are you concerned with? Living too long or dying too soon? You're offsetting, he said. It makes Mm -hmm. no sense. And here almost is what Congress is doing. They're concerned because people are not saving enough for retirement. The DOL, Department of Labor, has tried several times. They recently got struck down in Florida on their latest uh, PTE 2020-02. We did a whole show on that. That got struck down two months ago in Florida. DOL removed their um, appeal of that. And it looks like PTE 2020-02 no longer exists. That was a way for the DOL to restrict people moving their retirement accounts to IRAs. They feel that people are moving them to IRAs and they're losing too much money to fees to a lot of investment managers and they'd be better served leaving money in a 401k. They're 0 for 2 and they're trying, but they said, hey, we're going to come out with another rule yet again in the not too distant future to try to do this. My point is 
The government is acknowledging, folks, people are not saving enough for retirement. They're acknowledging people are paying way too much in investment management fees. I think you and I would agree with the government on that one. Correct, Chris? Generally, yes. Generally speaking, yes. Uh, if you listen to our show, we are loathe. We hate the AUM 1% or whatever the hell the advisor is going to charge you. Unlimited, uncapped management fee. We despise that. The DOL and the government is acknowledging that. They're going out of their way to help you keep money. But at the same time, they're opening all these different little spigots to allow you to take money out. Anyways, I just wanted to point that out. And Ed went out of his way to point that out to us. So anyways, that was one of the the takeaways that, gee, the things I'm about to review last week and, and now this week, it's death by a thousand cuts almost. You could take money out for this reason, that reason, and another reason, and not have to pay the 10% early withdrawal penalty. Personally, if Congress really really was concerned about some of these new ways to get your money out, they'd let you take it out tax-free for these things. But oh, no, 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 they don't want to do that at all. They just say, hey, we're not going to put this 10% penalty. To me, that tells me, folks, they're not concerned about these issues that they're going to allow you to take money out. Truly, deep down, not concerned. Because to me, a true fiduciary who was concerned, and the government is not a fiduciary. Let's, let's make that straight. But if someone is truly concerned and they, quote, unquote, have your best interest at heart, keeping their hands out of the till for money that's going towards emergencies would be the first proof to me, Chris, that they really did take this seriously and they were really trying to help Americans deal with these one-off issues. So anyways, I'll get off my high horse, <laughs> but it's things that I want to point out. Waiving a 10% early withdrawal penalty, yeah, is nice. You really want to make an issue for these? Make a difference rather for these? Waive the damn taxes too. Okay. Did I make that clear? <laughs> I think so. Where do you stand okay. on that? Yeah. So I let's think people get into understand once you once you list some of the things, um, kind of what you're getting at. Because okay. when some of these things happen to people, it's you know a really bad situation. So throwing them a bone by letting them use some money without charging them tax would be a way to help them out of this situation. Exactly. Okay. So another new one is an exemption effective this year. Excuse me. Sorry, folks. I still have back pain and I just moved. Um, You didn't warn people. You warned them last week. He still has the back pain. Yeah. So if he suddenly has a glitch in his voice or cries out in pain, that's what it is. Just ignore it. Ignore it, folks. I tried to move. He'll recover. Bad bad move. I apologize. This is really becoming a pain in the you-know-what, though. The back? Yes, yes. It's moved the back down a couple inches. That's what it's a pain in to me now. It's not literally that. The pain is still in my back, folks, but it's turning into a real pain in my you-know-what. So I will try not to move as I talk and cringe in pain like I just did. Okay. Effective 2023. So now. And this applies to both plans and IRAs. They will waive the 10% early withdrawal penalty for any distributions done because of terminal illness. 
I get it. Maybe they can't fully waive taxes on this, but they could have been nice and say, hey, the first 5000 10000 20000 uh, we'll actually waive income taxes as well and anything beyond that. I mean, give someone who's dying a helping hand here, folks. That's what they're trying to do here. They're saying if you have a terminal illness. Another nice thing they're doing is prior to Secure 2, it had to be an illness that um, was reasonably expected to result in your death in 24 months or less. They've now expanded that to seven years or less. So a much bigger Mm. definition Mm -hmm. of terminal illness, inability to take money out. And I have no problem here. If someone truly, I don't think there's going to be much abuse in this because you do have to prove it. Um, You're going to, it's, it's, you're going to self-certify that you have this. And if you're audited or your state is audited, then they have to show the, the proof. It can come from an IRA or a 401k. So I like everything they're doing. It's going to be rather hard to lie on this because most likely they will audit this. Uh, I'm just guessing. Uh, Letter audit. They're not going to haul you in and ask for this proof that you, you do have this condition. So all of that I support. But really, government... You couldn't help people who got one of the most cruelest diagnoses in life. I think Chris and I often joke if we only came with expiration dates, it would make our job easier. And I think anybody who listens to this and understands time value of money, having that end date makes calculations a lot easier. Having an unknown end date makes calculations a lot harder. If somebody gets a diagnosis like this, they couldn't, seriously, they couldn't say the first X amount of dollars, even the first X amount of dollars every year is tax-free. Someone's got a bad diagnosis. They're probably going to pass. Be nice to them. That, that's my take on it. One of the unique features to this, which makes me scratch my head, you can pay the money back. I guess maybe if you beat the condition... And you somehow have money somewhere, you can stop putting it back, but only within three years of withdrawing it. You cannot spread the taxes out over three years. Remember how you could with the disaster one we did last week? If you took a disaster out, you had the choice of spreading the taxes out on the disaster over year one, year two, year three, on spreading the taxes out. Uh, You can't do that. You have to declare all taxes in the year you take it out. But if for some reason, I guess you beat the illness, within three years of taking the money out, you can pay it back. I say they should give you within three years of seven years after the diagnosis. In other words, give you 10 years to pay the damn money back. If you beat it within the first, what if you beat it in year five? Well, it's too late. You took it out earlier. You got to pay it back within three years of taking the money out. But they're saying it's got to be a condition that might cause or is expected to cause your passing in seven years. 
That makes no sense to me. Just say, hey, you got have a condition that will likely cause you to pass within the first seven next seven years. And if you don't, you got three more years after that seven year time frame or 10 years total to put this money back in. That to me would have been a more sound approach to this. And also letting people take some money out tax free for Pete's sakes would have been a nice thing to do. If people are taking money out of a 401k, they probably don't have any other assets, Chris. They're low income, maybe, or modest means. Most people listening to this podcast, not all, but most, might have enough money outside of the 401k. They might not need to take it. And it's only an exemption to the 10% penalty, which means you're younger than 59 and a half. What if someone is diagnosed at 60 or 63 or 65? Give them a break too. Let them take some money out tax-free. Even make it tied to income. So someone who has 200,000 of income, no, you can't take anything out tax-free. All right, I'll concede that. But what if you're 62 living on Social Security? They got to pay taxes? Show some Mercy here. Okay, I'll get off my high horse. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Riding a lot of horses today. I know. <laughs> no, it's, you know, that is, I, I like how they expanded it to seven years because there's, um, you know, that's just a broader application of this idea that if you have this terminal diagnosis that they're going to give you some relief over this tax penalty. But I think some more flexibility, because I think there's, especially with medical advances, there's a lot of times you get a diagnosis and and you, you beat it, either, you know, the luck of your situation or maybe there's some kind of medical improvement or treatment that comes along and you, uh, you quote, beat it. So being able to reverse it more reasonably than that three-year deadline, I think, I agree with you. I think that would make more sense. But we don't get to write the laws. We just get to talk about them. Mm, exactly. Okay, this next one. I sat here and thought to myself, this is going to be abused nine times to Sunday. Mm. Is that a saying? Or am I going to screw up like I screwed up today with, well, I won't good. get into it, but that, that's a real that's saying, fine. nine times to Sunday, right? Well, I don't know what it sounds means. Real. But... Sounds like a regular, it's not one I use regularly, but I think I've heard it. Okay. All right. Cool. I got it right. I had a gymism today, folks. We won't get into um that apparently Chris got a chuckle out of a new one. That's You'll probably hear it again, apparently. But um, I think nine times to Sunday is a real saying. I will say when I first read this before even going to Ed Slot, the cynic in me said, this is going to be abused all the time. As this was being explained to us, Several people raised their hands in the slot group. And when you raise your hand, you get the microphone and you get to talk and said the same thing. This is so broad. It's going to be abused. And Ed himself said, there's no doubt in his mind, this is going to be abused. But it is so politically expedient. It is so politically sound. It seems so altruistic and pure. It's going to go nowhere. If anything, it'll be expanded. Now, it's an exception to the 10% early withdrawal penalty. 
So again, the cynic in me says, what about people who suffered this situation after 59 and a half? What break do they have? They already don't have to pay the 10% penalty. Why aren't you helping them? If this is so important to you, Congress, why don't you waive some of your damn taxes well, and help those You're really people? raging on this today, dude. Yes, I am, because it's, it's pointless. People older than 59 and a half can suffer these things, Chris. Let them lower the taxes owed by 10%. How about that? If you're going to forego the 10% early withdrawal penalty for people younger than 59 and a half, let people over 59 and a half exempt 10% of the withdrawal from income. I don't know. Just show that this truly does mean something to you and you can actually put all sacred revenue to the government on hold and truly prove to me, at least, this truly is something you care about. Because you're not willing to give up your own money. It just, it's, it rewards people younger than, maybe because I'm older than 59 and a half. Maybe because I just came back from the doctor and he said my back pain is probably caused by my age. To which I had to point out to him, you're only five years younger than me, doc. And I don't like hearing that I'm almost 60. Is that what maybe, this whole, is that, that what today is all about? Right That's now. what's got you going today. <laughs> You were reminded that you're almost 60. I was reminded that I'm over 59 and a half, and I get no benefit from these. 64 days from now or something? Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I sign your paychecks. Just remember that. Actually, I don't sign them anymore. It's all electronic. But still, hush. Maybe that's what's got me going. Okay, which one am I talking about here? Domestic abuse. Now, let me state. I'm a former police officer, folks. 90% of my, every cop out there, you know, a lot of our calls are domestics. You know that. We call them domestics. Another domestic, another domestic. Every time we went to a domestic call, you had to be partnered up. If you were in a solo cruise, if you didn't have a partner already, every domestic call went with two officers because they are so volatile. They are so emotional. But there are so many of them. So I'm not making light of this. But the way they wrote this rule, pretty much anybody can get $10,000 out of their IRA and not have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Even Ed admitted it. Honestly, from this point forward, no one should pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty if you take out less than $10,000. It is that big of a, I don't want to say loophole, but that big of a, what is, help me out here, Chris, I can't think straight, I'm so riled up, uh, that big of a, I guess window, a loophole, I guess loophole is the yeah, word I'm thinking I think so, of. I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah, fits, what else, loopholes, yeah. I guess a good one. Yeah. Okay, so what is the domestic abuse? Again, the other cynic in me says, only available to people younger than 59 and a half. Apparently, in the eyes of Congress, people over 59 and a half don't have domestics, don't have spats and quarrels. If you truly did want to help people who are the victims of domestic abuse, maybe you would waive your taxes on that $10,000. But no, 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 no. You still want your taxes. You're just going to forgo the 10% penalty. And it does no help to people who are over 59 and a half. Okay. 
So they will waive distributions from an IRA or a plan of $10,000, and they will index this for inflation going forward, $10,000 or half of the vested balance of your account. That really only applies to 401ks. Your IRAs are all yours at all times. They're fully vested. Why don't you explain what vesting means in case someone new doesn't know, Chris? Well, vesting just means that with, uh, you know, it's traditionally applied to retirement plans sponsored by employers where employers put money in in addition to what uh, money you put in. Uh, money that you put in is always, quote, vested. Uh, it's It's your money. But money that the employer puts in doesn't necessarily have to be available to you immediately until you meet certain criteria. And that vesting schedule is generally, you know, five years of work at that employer or less. Um, vesting can also apply to things like uh, uh, restricted stock units and 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 uh, options and things like that for, for those few people out there who have those. But usually when we're talking about here, we're talking about the uh, retirement plan itself, the employer portion of the contributions being vested in that you have the right to them uh, when you separate from service or try to take money out those dollars are yours at that point once they are vested and different plans will have different vesting schedules uh, generally never to exceed five years okay perfect so what is this new exception you will now be allowed well, effective in 2024 so not technically now it's still 2023 you will be able to take out up to $10,000 or half the vested amount if you self-certify. Self-certification is kind of a new concept, came into vogue when they created exceptions to the missed 60-day rollover, which we won't get into, but that's where you started hearing self-certify. That if you took money out of an IRA and you wanted to put it into a new IRA within 60 days, they had a list. I think it's a dozen. I can't remember now. Uh, reasons that if one of these reasons apply to why you didn't get it in within 60 days, just self-certify. And if we question this over the next X amount of years, uh, just provide us the proof. So you're going to self-certify. Same thing here on domestic abuse. They don't call it domestic violence. There is no need for it to be violent, and there is many different types of domestic abuse, and I will concede that. I'm a former police officer. There is no need to have filed a police report at all. There is no need for any type of documentation you must do before you self-certify. You just have to self-certify that at some time during the previous 12 months of this $10,000 up to $10,000 withdrawal, you suffered a physical, psychological, sexual, emotional, economic abuse while in a relationship. Or you were victim of an attempt to control you, isolate you, humiliate you, or intimidate you, or one of your family members who may also be living in your household. So a child or a parent was subject by your partner to these same conditions. It is very 
broad as you can see. My point is, you don't have to prove you were dating this person. You don't have to show receipts here or pictures or, or anything. And I get it. They're trying to make it easy. I'm torn on this one because to force someone to try to quantify that they were in this relationship and were victims of this type of abuse becomes very subjective. Maybe what someone would consider a non-abuse. Oh, that was a joke. You might take as an abuse. No, he was humiliating me in public and I didn't like that. And I felt uncomfortable. You don't have to prove that you left the relationship. You don't have to prove that the abuse caused the need to withdraw this money. Theoretically, as was stated during this, that they might curtail this, I don't know. But you could say, 11 months ago, I was in a relationship and I felt very uncomfortable in that relationship. And my partner just embarrassed me and it was horrendous. And I had to try to leave the relationship. You don't have to show causation for the withdrawal. And I incurred $10,000 of expenses to get out of that relationship. That's where Ed and the other listeners were saying, this could easily be subject to abuse. And I truly do think it will be. And Ed even said that. There's no way you're going to convince me, meaning him, there won't be people who are going to abuse a very good intention, but written very, very broadly, exception to the 10% early withdrawal penalty. There's no lifetime maximum on this. You could go from one bad relationship to another, to another, to another. It just seems to be a pretty big leak. But if they ever try to curtail this or require proof, they'll be held to pay. So I don't think you're ever going to see this exemption limited in any way, shape, or form. I think they'd have trouble limiting it in any way that wouldn't make it kind of not achieve the goal that they had with this exemption. So it's... uh, um, I think the limiting factor they put on there is limiting it to the 10,000. So that's the way to limit the abuse or, or damage, if you will. And it's going to be increased for inflation. That's part of the rule. Mm-hmm. So this 10,000 will continue to increase. Again, it's not going to apply to people over 59 and a half. It's only exemption to 10% early withdrawal penalty. But I don't know. I'm just thinking so, someone takes... $3,000, out. My washing machine just died the other day. Just add that to my back pain and everything else happening. My washing machine died. And because it was 12 years old, the repairman said, they don't make those pots anymore, sir. You got to go buy a new one. $1,500. What if I didn't have $1,500 lying around? Which I did, so I paid for it and it's all set. But what if I didn't? Gee, I got to take this out of my retirement account. You're going to take $1,500 out and pay a $150 penalty on top of that? Are you going to say, I self-certified that I was in a a bad relationship? That's where I'm going with this, folks. It's good intentions, but easy to abuse. And I just feel it's going to be abused. Is that any reason to get rid of it? No. But it does kind of 
Again, as Kitsa said, you're going to buy a lifetime income annuity because you're worried about living a long time, but now you're going to reduce the amount of income you get forever, even after you receive all your money, because you're worried you might die before receiving all your money. So if you did live long enough that you got all your money and you live another 8, 10, 12, 15 years beyond, you have permanently locked the old you into significantly less money. The, the, this is what the government is saying. Hey, we're really worried that people aren't saving enough. But here, you could take $10,000 out. There's no limit for bad relationships. If you just self-certify, can you ever see the IRS auditing? We want proof you were in a relationship. We want proof that you suffered this humiliation. We want proof it made you feel uncomfortable. Totally impossible to prove, to quantify. No police report, no nothing. That's my point. They just made a massive leak in retirement accounts. And I'm torn on I don't know that 10,000 is massive. (laughs) It may not be, Chris, to the people listening to this podcast, but Secure 2 does not exist to help them. Secure 2 exists for the vast majority of Americans who have significantly less than half a million dollars saved for retirement. Most baby boomers have significantly less than half a million dollars saved for retirement. Not listeners to our podcast. They want to try to get 20-somethings to save. You start making it easy for 20, 25, 30, 35-year-olds to get money out of their retirement accounts without a 10% early withdrawal penalty, you might start to see the leakage early, which is where you need these dollars growing Mm -hmm. tax-free. You need that compounding. Yes, 10,000 in that situation, Chris, is pretty massive. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, if Not that's the, the effect you're talking oh, about, then then yes, that the derailing of your long-term goals by having access to this ten thousand. I thought yes. you were talking about it as far as you know how they're taking advantage of of you know the government that would otherwise receive revenues. No, that, not not at all, yeah, not at all. It. It's it's yeah. it's that's why I'm relating it to Kitsis's mm-hmm. point with putting a a return to premium rider. I want all my money back in case I die too soon, but I'm really worried about living too long, so I want this lifetime annuity. The government is saying we don't feel people are saving enough for retirement. We want to encourage them to save, but they have all these ways to get money out. And this, yes, to a 30-year-old who might have $40,000 saved, being able to take a quarter of it out without a 10% early withdrawal penalty, and they just have to self-certify they were in a bad relationship and felt humiliated, that's what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. And they opened a can of, a political can of worms. Just to close this, the media will have a field day with any politician who wants to close this. And I have sympathy, folks, because as a cop, I saw an equal share of true domestic abuse situations and clearly a fair share. And I'll be the first to admit this. And any cop, if you could truly speak openly like I can now, how many calls have you gone to where you knew one party or the other was making total bogus BS stuff up? Because in Massachusetts, we have a mandated to arrest. If one party said, I'm in fear, that other guy or gal going to jail. 
just being in fear. We saw it being abused, unfortunately. And I just feel this might be abused. And I'm not here to pass judgment. But it's, I think, going to hurt. And, and the people who do abuse this, shame on you. And the older you is the one suffering, not the younger you. Now it comes back to that concept Chris and I have of the older you trying to help the younger you. So I truly am torn on this one. As a former police officer who saw real domestic abuse situations, having access to this dollars without having to pay 10% penalty, preferably without having to pay taxes either, could really help. But I also saw the abuse that was often being done. And now self-certification to get money out. I don't see how anyone is going to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty uh, younger than 59 and a half any longer. But that's just me. Okay. Anything you want to say? No, not on that one. Okay. This one's a neat one. Again, not to people listening to this podcast at all, Chris, for the most part. Because I don't think anyone listening to this podcast can't come up with $1,000 if they had to. But there is now, for financial emergencies, beginning next year, the ability to take $1,000 out for an unforeseen or immediate financial need relating to you or family emergencies. Not defining them, just an unforeseen financial emergency. Can't make your rent payment. I would say that's an unforeseen financial emergency. Mm-hmm. You're... Washing machine breaking or dishwasher? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that a financial emergency or not? I think it could be. Hey, I need it. I got to fix it. I don't have it. Mm-hmm. $1,000. Again, self-certified. What does that mean? It means you don't have to provide any proof. Only if you're questioned do you have to provide the proof. You're limited to $1,000 in any calendar year. But you also must not have taken any other emergency distributions during the previous three years. So they're not going to allow you to do this every year. They didn't put that on the domestic abuse one justifiably because you can go from one bad relationship to Mm -hmm. another to another. So I'm not faulting them there. Here they realized, whoa, wait a minute. This could be subject to abuse because we're self-certifying it. And it's a very broad definition. A personal or family financial emergency. It's pretty broad. Who's to say what's an emergency and what isn't? It's an emergency. I wanted to go see Cirque du Soleil. It was in town. And if I didn't go, I was not going to be happy. That could theoretically be an emergency to someone. So they're going I've to seen limit Cirque you. du Soleil, and if that was my last chance to ever see it, that'd be an emergency to me. <laughs> Those people are made. They remind me of the way I was like twenty years ago, just so <laughs> rock hard and in shape. Oh, you yeah. didn't know me twenty years ago. You mm. didn't know me twenty years ago. I mm. that, every time I see that, even my mom said, "Oh my God, Jim, you used to look like that." I'm like, yeah, "I know, Ma. I know. Mm. I lifted a weight once, dressed up <laughs> in know. lots of lycra and sequins and <laughs> flying through the air." Wow. No, I didn't realize no, no. that's uh, what you did as an arborist. <laughs> All jokes aside, folks, I love Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, I do oh, too. my God. Amazing. Are those people yeah. amazing? If you've never seen a Cirque show, go. Yeah. Even if you don't understand the nuance behind the show, which half the time I don't, 
It is just incredible. But anyways, $1,000 can come out. Um, additionally, no other emergency distributions, like I said, can be taking in the following three years unless the original distribution is repaid. So you could theoretically do this every year if you do repay it. But if you don't repay it, you got to wait three more years, self-certify another emergency and take a thousand bucks out. My point, Chris, is not for listeners to this show. I would be shocked if most listeners to this show, not all. So if you can't come up with a thousand dollars, I am not throwing you under the bus. But most of our listeners, they can come up with a thousand dollars. If you're in your 20s and you're trying to save and it's maybe coming down to a couch or circs tickets, self-certifying, they don't come out and say what the financial emergency is unforeseeable or or immediate financial need relating to relating to personal or family emergencies it could i'm being facetious here an emergency i've got to go see Cirque du Soleil my mom who's 89 not my mom but i'm just saying my mom who's 89 someone could argue and doesn't have long to live she always wanted to see this this is an emergency we've got to take her she's depressed i've got to cheer her up Who's to say that's not a financial emergency? Again, it's being too easy for young folk to get money out. You compound $1,000 over 40 years at 7%. That costs them a lot of money to take $1,000 out now. And they could do it every three years. That's where I'm going with this, Chris. Again, just what they're adding. This next one is kind of cool. I think it's much to do about nothing, again, for most people listening to this. But for younger people who truly take saving and investing and retirement planning serious, this is a kind of cool one. So I'll put that in the cool category. It is the pension-linked emergency savings accounts. Do you have any idea what those are, Chris? No. They have nothing to do with just pensions. So let's call it the pension link, the emergency savings account, but you don't need a pension to do it. So clear as mud right there. I think what they meant by that or what Congress, who, who is as is, is dumb as the bricks I'm looking at uh, outside on my walkway, I think what they were trying to say is it's, it's tied to retirement accounts and they don't understand there's defined benefit plans and defined contribution plans. They're not necessarily all called pensions. But anyways, they call it the pension-linked emergency savings accounts. These are an option, not a requirement for your employer to add to their 401k offering. 401ks are not technically traditional pensions by the definition of the word pension. So you don't have to work for a company that offers a traditional pension where you pay money in. If you work X number of years, you're going to get this much income for the rest of your life. That's a defined benefit pension plan. They also work with defined contribution savings plans like a 401k. They are not a requirement, so you're going to have to petition your employers to add them. They can add a a sister plan, if you will, that will allow you 
to save two and a half thousand dollars, no more than that, two and a half thousand dollars in them, plus any growth, and employer matches can go into them. So that's kind of cool if the employer wants to match this two and a half thousand. To the best of my knowledge, and I'm 99.999% sure, that two and a half thousand does not offset what you can save for your retirement. This is in addition. It must be Roth contributions, though. So in other words, after-tax contributions, it can grow tax-free. And at any time, you can take it out for, quote-unquote, emergencies. Again, not really defining emergency. It's kind of a Roth cash-like savings account now. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like it. I hope a lot of employers add them. I'm disappointed it's limited to only $2,500, but if people want to create an emergency reserve, you can put $2,500 in. That's a pittance, in all honesty. If you want to encourage people to do an emergency reserve, let them put $50,000 into this. You're still going to get your taxes. It's Roth contributions, Mr. and Mrs. Government. You just won't be able to get any taxes on the growth. Oh, horror. But if you're trying to encourage people to, I guess, not take from all the loopholes you just created in their retirement accounts, and you're going to encourage them to create an emergency reserve, let them save more than $2,500. Most people know in the accumulation phase of retirement, not distribution, accumulation phase, the rule of thumb is how many months, Chris, of income should be saved as an emergency reserve? Do you remember yep. going back to your study days? I remember, I teach this regularly. <laughs> the standard is three to six months. <laughs> I used to always say six months, but yes, three to six months. Well, that for most people is more than two and a half thousand dollars. True, that's very true. Yeah, let them save more. And if this truly was important to you, government, screw the damn taxes on the growth. You're trying to allow them to save an emergency reserve and not start taking money out of their retirement accounts. I love the fact that it will grow tax-free. I love the fact that you can self-certify there's a quote-unquote emergency, and they don't define what that is because an emergency can be anything. It's the whole idea of a reserve. They don't limit it to, oh, and if you lose your job, you can take it out. No such limitations. But you have to stop after two and a half thousand, folks. It can continue to grow, but you can't put any more money in. What the hell good is that? That's not that much money. It would barely have bought my dishwasher if I wanted one of the super duper high end ones. I didn't because y'all know I might be moving to Ohio and Kentucky. So I thought, well, I don't need a dishwasher that's going to last a long time. I got a mid tier one. I got a KitchenAid, not the Bosch or the Mealy, which I really liked. But I didn't feel like shelling out two and a half, three, three and a half thousand dollars for a damn dishwasher. So I got the KitchenAid for fifteen hundred dollars, including a two hundred dollar extended warranty to give me six years of protection. I think I might move anywhere between year five and year ten, so I just felt it worked perfect. But two and a half thousand dollars isn't that much. I would have taken out nearly all of it right there. But it's kind of a neat thing. I mean, if you guys like it, start encouraging your employer to add these to their 401k. 
And employers might, as a benefit, say, hey, we're even going to match X amount of dollars going in to this Roth-like account. So, um, oh, here's another unique feature. You can be automatically opted into this, which I disagree with. You should, this is not retirement, which you can be opted into now, and I agree with that. I think it should be up to the employee to decide if their employer should automatically stop putting my money in this. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's my personal opinion. But yes, employers can automatically opt you into it. Now, there's a couple of caveats with this, though. So a lot of people listening to this show, you might not be able to, granted, 2500 isn't much money. So a couple of things. You cannot be a highly compensated employee, meaning the following. You cannot own more than 5% of the company. So I have no incentive to add this to our simple plan. So I'm going to make You're going my to be employee- petitioned by your employees, though. I'm going to make my employees <laughs> suffer. If I can't have it, you can't have it. You watch, folks. And Chris, you will not be able to do this either pretty damn soon, as you know. So we can screw both our employees if we, all our employees, the two of us can, we're just joking. We're not going to do that. I'll add it if they want it. Um, and again, it's not till next year that it's effective, but you cannot own more than 5% of the company or receive more than $150,000 of compensation. That rules out a lot of people. There are a lot of people listening to this podcast who make more than 150000 or you were not in the top 20% of all employees in compensation. So it's really going to be hard to figure out, do I qualify? How do I know if in a big company, let's say a company with 10,000 people, is my compensation within the top 20%? This is going to be a nightmare for employers to decide which employees actually qualify. Well, that's why they have an HR department. They'll let everybody know. (laughs) So interesting, I think far too restrictive. Get rid of all these rules. Can't be more than 5% on it. And I'm not saying this out of sour grapes, but get rid of all these stupid contribution rules and just call it the emergency account, the emergency savings account. Everybody knows you should have an emergency savings account during the accumulation phase. I actually feel you don't need one in the distribution phase. And we've talked about it in the podcast before, but we'll explain again what I technically mean. We do definitely want money in reserve, but not a traditional emergency reserve of three to six months income in the traditional sense. Yeah, but they the talk economy- about, and that's that's a good point, because they talk about an emergency reserve, but really what it is is a cushion in case you lose your job. That's really the emergency that they're talking about here. Could it serve a purpose in another emergency? Yes, but it's really that three to six months thing is to bridge the gap while you move into another position or find another job. Once you're retired in the distribution phase, there's no gap to bridge. So a traditional emergency fund really doesn't make any sense at that point. You know, it doesn't hurt to have it, but uh, um, you know, it's really more about having money reserved for the purpose that you saved it for at this point, you know. Um, anyway, so I, I totally agree with you there that it's 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 really for the accumulation phase while you're working that emergency fund is critical. Exactly. I think it's too restrictive. Who's to say 
Someone who earns more than 150000 or owns more than 5% of the company shouldn't be entitled to this. It's just, I think it's too restrictive and they should expand it to greater dollar amounts, 10, 20, 30,000, and just forgo the taxes on that. It's not going to kill you. My God, you guys spend money like drunk sailors on shore leave. You have us 31 trillion in debt and you're worried about getting taxes on more than two and a half thousand dollars of an emergency reserve, please. So again, it makes me question their sincerity. I think this is nice and I think this will be expanded and and catch on. So I kind of like that. This next one and final one, I love this one. I wish, and they've had this for years and I've never talked about this. And the reason I never did, because I thought this is never going to happen. It's never going to work. And you probably haven't even heard of this exemption, Chris. They expanded it, but they didn't expand it to IRAs. They only expanded it to 401ks. So it still, it irks my goat to no end when I see this or when I read this one. Why the hell didn't you apply this to IRAs as well? And why are you taxing it? You are acknowledging a major, major issue for all of America and the world. And I'm not not being um, braggadocious or or what do you call that when you are fear-mongering. This is an issue across the world. And that's the aging of people and the fact that we're living longer And they don't have enough money to take care of themselves as they age. If Congress truly wanted to help this, they would not limit it to just 401ks. They would expand it to IRAs. They would not only say, hey, we're not going to tax the first 10% with the penalty you take out. We're not going to subject, rather, the dollars that we're going to let you take out, and I'll share in a minute what I'm getting at, to the 10% penalty. They would come out and just say, you could take these dollars tax-free. And that would prove to me they truly are trying to fix what I fear people listening to this podcast. Yes, we were saying these other ones, small, minor, insignificant dollar amounts. This next one, it's going to impact you. And the reason I know because it impacts many, many of our clients. Do you have any idea where I'm going with this, Chris? And, and I'm not trying to throw the bus under you. I just <laughs> want you to think this through because you, you do do this. What is one of the number one issues even people with several million dollars have to pay attention to? Long-term care. Exactly. That's going to be the, the biggie. And that's what you're talking about in this case. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, I'll get off my little tirade there. Um, we don't have to address the whole throwing the bus under me. The what? <laughs> Nothing. Our listeners caught it. <laughs> what? All right, time out, time out. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking you about, said I'm but not you're making to fun throw, of me. I'm not trying to throw the bus under you. <laughs> I'm not, That's what you said. <laughs> to who? To, to me, just now, to all of our listeners, yeah. You're not trying to throw the bus under me. No, no, throw throw Chris under the bus. Did <laughs> right. I say it, bus yeah. under you? Yeah. Oh. Folks. That's why people listen. People- that's why, you know, it's part. Of, they've been listening the whole show just for that little nugget. I think there was but, another one, too, but that was the best one. 
For those who don't know, I suffered a stroke two and a half years ago that killed a small part of my brain that Chris continually And he brings that up just to make me feel bad for pointing these things out. But anyone who goes back and listens to shows from three plus years ago knows this was an issue prior to the stroke. So I don't think so. I think this is pure stroke related. Uh, Anyways, I I apologize. I don't mean I'm throwing a bus under Chris. Apparently, I'm throwing Chris under the bus. I'm not throwing. Whatever the hell. I'm moving on. Okay. This one, when it came out years ago, said someone under 59 and a half. And again, it should just be anybody. And we're just not going to tax it. But oh, no, no. Can't do that. Someone under 59 and a half can take $2,500 out of just their 401k and use it to pay long-term care premiums without having to pay the 10% early withdrawal penalty. But only if the 401k sent the money directly to the insurance company. Guess how many 401ks decided to do that, Chris? I bet there was one out there, (laughs) but not many. Not only that, most premiums are more than $2,500. So how are you going to match it all up? Oh, well, here's, yeah. this is for St- George Smith. Yeah. And uh, apply this to his 2500 premium, and George will make up the rest. It was asinine. Yeah, just wasn't implemented well at all. Not at all. Not at all. Now, you can take money out to pay long-term care premiums from your 401k, And the money can go directly to you. But you do have to prove. And this one has to be filed with the plan. So I'm I'm sure plans are going to love this and start allowing this. But you have to file with the plan that you have a long-term care premium statement. And you must name in this certification the name and tax ID number of the insurance company, which you can get directly from the insurance company. That won't be a problem. The name and tax ID of the insurance company. And you must state this $2,500 is for long-term care insurance. You have to show the employer just once, but prove to the employer you in fact do own the policy. You actually owe premiums equal to or in excess of the $2,500, or you are providing it for your spouse and you have to prove that your spouse has the policy. I get it. They're trying to make sure this is done Mm -hmm. right. I'm sure the the employer will have you state this and provide these documents just once. To the best of my knowledge, there is no requirement that these be made every year, but maybe there are because the the government wants to make sure you didn't cancel the policy. So don't be surprised if you have to do this every year. To me, though, Chris, saving $250 in tax penalty, yeah, that's nice. But what about when you become 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65? Why not just waive the damn taxes on LTC premiums, if you're withdrawing this two and a half thousand from an IRA or 401k, you'd think there'd be would, an offsetting benefit too, because then fewer people are likely to end up on Medicaid. Exactly. We have clients, folks, with hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not 
a million-ish or is even a little bit more in their retirement accounts who realize their LTC plan is Medicaid. When we walk them through our approach, and and I would go so far as to say we have seen clients with 1.5, 1.8, 2-ish million dollars that after we walk them through the whole concept of our see-through portfolio, the ability to try to help you understand. It sounds like a lot. Oh, I got 1.2 million. I got a million. I got 800,000. I got 1.8 million. I'm all set. But you start walking them through the shortage in minimum dignity floor between retirement and when secure income is on. That's what we call the delay period. When you start walking them through and quantifying what that need is and subtract it from their 1.8 million in my example, and then you show them the long-term projected shortage in their minimum dignity floor, food, utilities, transportation, housing, healthcare, that Gee, there's another X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars we have to subtract out. When we start to show them, maybe they want to guarantee an inheritance, if at all possible, to a special needs child or just to their children, period. And we subtract that out. And then they subtract out a buffer and reserve. And then, of course, their fun. We start looking at their fun number and they start looking at, oh, my God. For me to adequately protect me from long-term care, if I would need three years, four years, five years, and this becomes an emotional hurdle. Do we reserve money that I hope I never need because I drop dead and don't linger? Or do I sacrifice spending on fun? People with 800000 1 million, 1.2 million, 1.5-ish or so, even maybe up to 1.8, start to realize there's not enough money to go around. And they have to make a conscious decision. And many of them say, look, I want to spend on fun while I'm here. I don't know if I'm going to be alive later, but I will acknowledge going on Medicaid. Maybe giving them the ability to start to fund some long-term care with tax-free dollars, you're correct, Chris, would change that equation. And I agree. Rather than go on Medicaid, if I could use tax-free dollars, which essentially reduces long-term care premiums by 12, 15, 18, 20, 25%, maybe a little more or less, goes a long way to maybe encouraging people to buying even a partnership policy as well, Chris, that could help. You don't see any of that in this provision. It's just we're going to waive a 10% early withdrawal penalty. It bugs you. They've got such good intent for this. It's too limited to just 401ks, and it's not enough. Yeah. Anyways, I'll get off that high horse, but it's, it's, I like it. They need to expand this. Your thoughts? I do think it's, you know, it's, intent is good, <clears throat> what their goal is, but to be effective in meeting the goal to get people in a better position to handle these could you know, potentially you know, excessive costs for, for this kind of care, which when you are unable to care for yourself, it can cost a lot of money to pay someone else to care for you, having protections for those who fall into that. And there's, it's not the majority yet, but it's still a significant portion of people out there that find themselves with this kind of need. So uh, I think there needs to be more steps to 
address this issue. And, and this moves the needle just a tiny amount. I do think they could have structured it in a way to have a lot more effect on this and, and take into consideration the benefits to the uh, Medicaid program that is the fallback for people who find themselves in a long-term care situation that don't have any resources. They end up in Medicaid, in a Medicaid bed, which, uh, um, you know, I think preventing people from falling into that position, however possible, is a worthy goal. Now, I will concede, those of you who might be ready to type me an email, Uh-oh. you can deduct certain amount of long-term care premiums based on your age. I don't have that handy in front of me. Uh, if Chris can pull it up real quickly off of Google, that's fine. It's based on your age, and it will allow you to deduct a certain amount. So it, it almost accomplishes the same task. But why not, in addition to be able to deduct some premiums, or why not get rid of that silly deductible rule based on your age and just allow you to offset 50, 60, 70% of long term care premiums with tax free withdrawals? That to me would go a long way to encouraging even more people to buy this truly important protection and allow you to enjoy more on fun. Every time people reserve $300,000, $500,000 for LTC, it irks the hell out of them, especially if their fun number isn't that big. Because it's like, oh my God, Jim, we see this all the time. I want to protect myself, but I don't know if I'm going to need it. But I'm here now and I want to enjoy myself. This isn't right. This isn't fair. And they start to look at LTC and they start to realize either like me, I waited too long. I had a stroke at 57. I will never be insurable for LTC. Maybe if I had an incentive that I could cover LTC premiums with tax-free money, I would have bought it at 50 instead of deciding to wait to 60 which screwed me over because I had my stroke at 57. If I could have it with tax-free money, because that's the equivalent for me back then of a a 15, 20, 25, 30% reduction in premium. And it would have helped the government a lot. So I do know that there is some deductibility, but it's based on your age. And I think you have to itemize. You have to itemize and it goes into your medical expenses, which has the... Seven, seven and, and a half, half percent exactly. threshold as well. So yeah, I did find it. It's uh, well, these are twenty twenty two numbers, so they might be a little different. But if you're age forty or under, four hundred and fifty dollars for the year. Woo-hoo! Yeah, forty one to fifty is eight fifty. Fifty one to sixty is sixteen hundred and ninety dollars. Sixty one to seventy is four thousand five hundred and ten dollars. And then age 71 and over is $5,640 of your LTC premiums can be itemized under the so medical that, expense category. But again, you got to meet right. the 7.5%. So. You have to itemize, first of all, which most people don't, um, at least under the Tax Cuts and Job Act. That might go away in 2025. And then it's subject to the 7.5%. So it sounds really great if you're over 70, $5,000 of LTC premium is deductible. Most people <clears throat> have premiums, depending on when you buy it, could be significantly less than that or, or a little bit more than that. But you're not going to be able to, to get that full $5,000 deduction unless you regularly itemize, and few people do. And then the 7 and, is it, no, it's 10%, not 7.5%. 10% of AGI limit as well. It's not used. If you really want to encourage yeah. people to buy LTC, and they should be, just 
let us take money, not even out of our IRAs, just let us deduct long-term care premiums, 50% of them or 70% of them or 75% of them, and not pay any damn taxes on them. That would instantly lower premiums for people, and I think a lot more people would be, wow, I'm going to buy that now if this is deductible. Yeah, the, it's, it's the, they made it the 7.5%. Oh, it's seven and it, a half. It okay. was ten for a while, and seven and a half. So the seven. They go back and forth current. between that. I get confused. Yeah. All right. Anyways, a little bit of a high horse. Maybe it's because of my anger and being told by my doctor <laughs> I'm almost old. sixty. <laughs> uh, and then coming here and looking at all these things for people fifty nine and a half or younger, and that ain't me anymore. And I'm upset. You were triggered. That's for sure. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I need my safe space. I was triggered. Um. But also, folks, I do believe a lot of this is disingenuous. If the government and politicians truly wanted to help domestic violence people, LTC, savings reserves for emergencies for young folks, just allow those dollars to be tax-free. Make it easier. But no, they don't do that. Um, So it bugs me. I don't know if we have another 15 or 20 minutes to do the Roth to 529. Um, We can easily wait till next week. Yeah, we'll have to roll that one over. So I guess we're going to do another. We're going to have to push that off. Um, And I think, let me look at my notes. We got two more things that we're going to cover. We're going to cover the Roth to, uh, excuse me, 529 to Roth. Roth. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of press. Mm-hmm. And the ability for employers now to put your match into a Roth instead of a traditional mm-hmm. 401k, if you so desire. Mm-hmm. Also a fair um, amount of press on that one, too. Correct. So those are the last two. That probably will take most of next week's EDU show, not all. If some of you have some additional uh, e. Uh, Secure two questions. Maybe I can squeeze them in uh, on next week's EDU show. It's up to you. But uh, fire them off. If not, so be it. Uh, Hopefully you found this interesting. It did to me, but hopefully it also got you to think more about your retirement. I I agree a lot of these provisions don't apply to most people, but I'm trying to get you guys to think of retirement differently and look at things. and, and, And obviously, if you're listening to this, you're taking it seriously. And uh, anyways, we'll go from there. That's uh, I'm done. Okay. Well, sounds good. Anybody who wants to send in any uh, uh, recommendations for what to you know, expand on, clean up, what have you, for the hopefully last show on Secure 2 for a while <laughs> next week, just send those uh, that feedback to Jim directly, jim at jimhelps.com. Make sure in the subject line that you uh, describe some reference to the EDU show or podcast, what have you, and he'll watch out for those. And uh, yeah, well, uh, how many be- secure shows did we do now? Is I think this three. I think there's three. So I think three. Okay, so four, four, right. which will be plenty for for a while. Then we'll do something else. That'd be oh, yeah, great, definitely. So, okay, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. 
Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 